Somebody asked me at a reading I did over the summer, a question that got asked to me sort of in a roundabout way last night. They used the phrase tech clash. They were like, oh, is this part of like the tech clash? Um, but I was just, I was walking around today and I was like, I couldn't lash this shit if I tried. This shit is so much bigger than me. Hello, and welcome to a very special episode of the Atonicast. I'm Ed Niedermeyer. Normally, this is where Alex and Kirsten would be chiming in, but for CES this year, they let me do something a little different. Rather than interviewing business leaders from the world of driving automation and mobility technology, we brought two science fiction authors to CES this year to get their take on the world we discuss here every day. I have to admit, I had no idea what this collaboration would lead to, or even why I thought this was the right moment to even try something like this. That said, it wasn't completely random either. In fact, the idea goes back to the very first project I worked on when I was at Partners for Automated Vehicle Education, or PAVE. PAVE had commissioned a a survey of public opinion about driving automation technology, and the result that jumped out at me the most as I began to develop content to help explain these data was a seeming paradox. The people who feared and mistrusted the technology the most were the people who reported knowing little to nothing about it. This fascinated me. If the people who mistrust AVs the most say they don't have all the facts, what are they basing this fear on? Only one obvious answer jumped out at me. If it wasn't the facts, it must be the fiction. Ever since, I've been fascinated with fictional depictions of AVs and other mobility technologies, and I constantly look for the ways in which they shape public perceptions. I think we still have a lot to learn about how and why the public believes what they do about new mobility technologies, but I continue to be fascinated by the role that fiction plays in this question. In order to explore this question, I invited two science fiction authors to come to CES, attend the infamous Atonicast party, and take in the show. Regular listeners of the show will recognize one of these authors, Patrick McGinty, as a previous guest who recorded an episode about his book Test Drive last April. He was joined by Joanne McNeil, the author of Lurking and the upcoming science fiction novel Wrong Turn about autonomous vehicles, coming out later in 2023. Patrick and Joanne are two of the leading, if not only, authors of sci-fi about AVs publishing today, as well as first-time visitors to CES. Towards the end of a whirlwind week, meeting executives, touring the show floor, and watching demonstrations, we gathered in a sports book, of course, it's Las Vegas, to record an impromptu discussion of their first exposure to the madness that is the Consumer Electronics Show. Let's listen in. Hey, Patrick. What's up, Ed? (laughs) Uh, This... So this is the first full day on the floor of your first ever CES, is that right? That is that is correct, and I feel it in every cell in my body that <laughs> I've that I've stayed up far too late, and I have walked far too much. Uh, so yes, every cellular response my body's giving into this microphone right now is yes. I was at CES all day. It's a it's a visceral experience for sure. If you if you've experienced it, you know. It is. It was. Um, it was really something. It was. I mean, last night. I don't know. I don't know if you want to talk about the uh, Autonicast party. That's probably where I met most people. I should also say, first and foremost, I haven't been on the Autonicast in a couple months, and I'm really, really appreciative of all the listeners. Many of you who reached out or came to events um, related to my book. Really, really cool. Really great group. Um, the guy John who came out in Portland, a couple that came to Durham. Um, I don't know. This community, this group's been really awesome as, as I've had this 
book test drive this novel out this year. And uh, yeah, I just want to say like thanks first and foremost to everybody for for listening, for reaching out. So many great emails from this community. Um, really appreciative of it. Yeah, well, I think we're all really uh, blessed to have the group of people around uh, this. I think the party last night was, um, it's just always such an amazing experience to, to see all the people who listen to the show and enjoy it. But um, we're here to, to listen to you and also to Joanne McNeil. Hey, Joanne. Hey, nice to see you. Yeah, yeah <laughs> it's good to have you here. So you, like Patrick, who has been on the show, are yeah. an author. Yeah, um, I wrote a novel called Wrong Way. It comes out in November. It deals with self-driving cars, surveillance, big tech, gentrification, a whole bunch of other things. But definitely there there is a driverless car company at the center of the the pop. Yeah. <laughs> so so I don't want to like ask you to say too much about your forthcoming book because obviously everyone should should read it. But I'm curious, like this is also your first CES. It's my first CES, yeah. And I mean, one thing I could say is like why I was kind of drawn to this topic. And I mean, part of it is like I've been writing about tech in the most general sense of tech, mostly meaning internet, social media for like 20 years, and I just I. I wanted to do something new and like there's it's not that there's only so much you can say about surveillance but there's at this point in time it feels like I'm saying the same thing over and over again and my my dad was an aircraft mechanic and so I grew up going to the garage like when I was 12 years old I'm I'm steering a a, a plane you know like I um so tech like transportation has always been something that's like fascinated me in a very joyful way and like that was that's kind of what how I came across your podcast how I came across Kirsten's reporting like I was just kind of like oh this is there's something really exciting here there's something exciting but it also has that that level of the elements of Silicon Valley drama where that plays in that's familiar to me I'm interested in that too um so yeah this, this is something that um it's it's also funny that like in the course of writing my book, I started it in 2018, and so the self-driving technology felt like, oh yeah, I've been here before. This is just going to be like Theranos, and we're just. But then like while I'm writing it, I'm like, oh, I have to kind of, <laughs> I have to make some of this real because it's definitely. I mean, it's not as real as they they're necessarily saying, but uh, it's happening and it's a near future novel has to like incorporate this reality in its vision too. So there's a really interesting thing about this where, right, like I think right now a lot of people are sort of, you know, obviously self-driving cars and, and a lot of the hype around that it's, it's obviously, right, like goes without saying like what people expected, what people were led to expect, what people tried to hype, like is is very clearly not uh, not happening, but what you what you said about surveillance is really interesting too. Because like once a technology does become real and becomes part of our lives, it becomes so much harder to even get people to think about it and question it. And like you kind of, I think in some sense, if you want to help shape this future in a certain way, you have to approach this technology before get people thinking and yeah. talking about this technology before it is real. So in some ways, like the fact that this bubble is bursting is actually a really great thing because as you say, it, it is real, like the technology is real and it is developing, the, but this sort of hype sort of over, outrunning itself, um, it gives us an opportunity to continue to like 
you know, have these really important conversations about what are these things going to be when they reach the point where we, they, we just take them for granted and we can't escape them. Well, the thing that interests me also is just like what the surveillance element, both the passengers, the the test drivers, the remote operators, like that element of surveillance and how how we know like the story of AI in virtually everything in 2023 is that like at the end of the day, you do have a human being who is probably paid nothing, who is uh, troubleshooting in some capacity. And so like that's that's the element that really fascinates me too with like and I, I kind of it, it does come through in my book. I was kind of like sensing that this is where it's going. Like where the rhetoric is humans are they get tired, they get fatigued, they're lazy, they're angry, they shouldn't be trusted on the roads, they shouldn't be trusted on streets that your children are playing on. And then the then that's the rhetoric, but then the reality is you have the the least respected workers at your company are solving the most difficult problems. Like what that's that's human ingenuity. That's that's what humanity is, and that's why we do need the human mind like involved in the in cars. <laughs> yeah, one one reason I'm really excited for your book, Joanne. I should also, we should also probably frame the podcast. We're passing a mic around in the Win sports book right now. Um, and uh, yeah, it's a very funny experience. People cheering around us, lots of noise. It's very, it's, it, this is a very sui generis uh, it's, experience. It's, it's a typical, you know, podcast studio ambiance, yes. you know, Also ignoring other people that we're here the with. The acoustics <laughs> are, are just right in this particular sports book. But no, one reason... Like, I just want people to understand why Joanne is, like, a special writer. And I think it has... I think it, I was thinking about it a lot last night. We're at this Autonicast party. Thanks to everybody who said hi, who bought my book, um, who, who to- tolerated various piano playing I did. And a lot of you in the, in, the, in the sector who, you know, work at all these various places, like, when I... Like, my, I mean, I'm just an English professor. I'm just a novelist. I'm just kind of being me in this party and I'm just when I see people I'm just like hey what's your story um, and usually what what you get and I understand this is a very this is like people are kind of on some of them at this party they're like you know a lot of you are very good at what you do you pitch you have your line you have your two or three lines you're telling me what your company does really in really really succinct fashion and I get that that's how you you operate most of your life why I think like and why I hope a lot of you will read Joanne's last book Lurking or the one that's coming out Next year, wrong way. Joanne is really, really good at coming up with a lot of a lot of different ways for thinking through problems and resisting any one solution. Like you and Lurkin come up with so many different metaphors and analogies. Like I was telling you about, uh, being on the internet feels like being in an elevator. These, you know, all these different ways for thinking about in that previous book, the internet. But what you don't do is you don't boil it down to that one or two lines that becomes your whole ethos or theory. That thing where it's like, why the, the X is the smartphone of whatever? Welcome to my TED Talk at CES. Like not, you, you, don't, you don't boil it down to like that, that really simple, easily graspable thing. And as we've talked about, you and I, that's probably been detrimental to us as writers that we don't, that we struggle sometimes to boil it down into like a catchy sort of one-off 
piece or title or book, and there, there's people as we've been spending very much of the past 24 hours together as the two odd ducks in this, uh, yeah. the two novelists <laughs> in this sea of, of tech talking about this. But like, I just hope you know that like what you do is so important and, and special and resists that like simplification, which I saw so much of last night, uh, which, and I, again, not, not hating on anybody. I know your job is to, is to sell and, and, and sort of envision this company. You're competing for dollars. It has to be boiled down. What I'm saying is that like Joanne's really good as a lot of novelists and different writers are, but like you're one of your special skills to me, Joanne is like coming up with all these different ways for thinking through problems, but also like being able to resist like the, the, the one easy sort of thing thing um does, does that like sync with you at all or Patrick that is so kind of you to say and actually I would say that like what I do and what I do is pretty unique is that I'm looking at the user level and starting out I got kind of a, a lot of shit because well I can code but at the time I didn't think I could code because code felt like some really exaggerated thing that I just could not do but in fact I was coding um, but like I get shit for not being able to code for not being a lawyer so I didn't know the law I, I'm not like in policy so I don't know policy but I was writing about the user experience and that's what I'm doing with wrong way and I at some point I probably will be writing some essays on on transportation because from a passenger perspective and some and yeah like I don't necessarily have the policy solutions, um, but I know what I experienced when I was on a train, or I know what I experienced when I used Twitter. Like these are these are valid experiences, and being able to like link in my experiences with other users who ex user experiences, driver or passenger experiences, same way. Like that's a, so that's like that's a perspective that I come in, and it, it's a little bit unusual. Uh, in reporting, but as an essayist, I, I would love to see more essayists who are doing that as well, because this is, the, the user is also a customer, is also like a perspective that's incredibly valid, especially, and also someone whose data is mixed in with these companies are harvesting that data. You know, it's just like that, that perspective very often gets lost, and that's what I try to, to add in my writing. Yeah, so, so, and I feel like they, they, common thread there is the people, right? Um, so I guess I'm kind of curious for both of you, I mean, you know, we've already heard a little bit, Patrick, about your experience at the, at the party, but like, what struck you about like some of the people and the conversations that you've had as you've been here? Yeah, I had some awesome conversations last night at the party. I mean, quite frankly, a Rolodex of guests of the show. I mean, many guests of the show just talking to them. Like, I will say something that I was thinking about today as I was walking around. Somebody asked me at a reading I did over the summer, a question that got asked to me sort of in a roundaway last, roundaway, roundabout way last night. They were like, do you consider your work, oh, is, is this a novel, like, they used the phrase tech clash. They were like, oh, is this part of like the tech clash, um, this thing. And you know, somebody asked me it over the summer to reading and I gave, uh, you know, a, a, an answer-ish. Um, Somebody kind of asked it to me last night, and I was thinking about that today, walking around CES, where I was just like, the word tech lash is bullshit. Um, for, for a number of reasons. Look, again, nerd alert, English professor coming in, like, first of all, it suggests that it's like singular, a singular lash, and like it's just like a one-time thing. Um, but broader than that, like, as I'm 
walking through CES, which is like bigger than I can possibly comprehend, I, I think like the idea of a tech clash that somehow the public or the commentary of which Joanne play and I play a part, like have the power to like lash back at this thing that is so unbelievably large. Like Joanne and I have just really bonded the last 24 hours and just like trying to land work, trying to make things, trying so hard to get things off the ground. And like I know that if if I want to be really large hearted about it, that a lot of a lot of CS people and tech people are, are doing a version of that, trying to make their own things. But I was just, I was walking around today and I was like, I couldn't lash this shit if I tried. This shit is so much bigger than me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and this stuff is so much bigger than any magazine journal commentary. I, I know for maybe like the tech sector, it seems like Twitter or social media or like the vibe has shifted against you. And, and certainly like that's, I understand that vibe and I, I participate that in certain ways when it's warranted. But I, I don't know, the word tech lash... I've just been thinking about it and how it's wrong and that it's not a... It, it implies that it's a singular thing and we're done and we move on from it. It implies that somehow we have the parental sort of power or sort of owner power to, to sort of correct the tech industry, which which in theory, I guess, is true. But it's hard, it's hard to walk around CS and feel like this thing isn't just an absolute behemoth of American yeah. culture that is just, you know far beyond anything Joanne and I can do in sort of a writing. Would you, does that like sync with you? Yeah, I mean, the other thing with the, the tech flash part of the reason that it frustrates me is that it neglects like how sneaky some of these companies were to evade regulation for so long and then they just emerged um, finally getting critical attention. Oh, finally getting critical attention um, after years of being under the radar because they weren't as bad as Philip Morris or Exxon and the public perception. I mean, one thing that I was, part of the reason I was really excited to go to CS, and I, I haven't had quite a, a, the moment yet to, to explore it fully, but like, I, I, it's the thing that draws me to tech in some way is that like, even if we're talking about the real, the real larger than life figures, they have they have a vision and they have conviction and there's something really I, from a creative perspective from a writer artist perspective seeing people who really believe in what they're doing who have a dream there's something that fascinates me and like i use the word fascinating a lot in tech because it's like fascinating could be a bad yeah. <laughs> fascinating can be fascinating no but you're absolutely right though that um, like founders and startup people like there's absolutely that uh, like art, an artist's monomania. It's, it's this obsessive thing about making something that the only you can see and only you can imagine. And I absolutely agree. That's like a very human thing. I think this is like at the heart of why tech is what it is in our, in our society today. The, the issue is that they're not making art, you know, and, and, you know, art is often about, about creating power and wielding power and and hurting people and doing bad things. You know, art isn't all good either, for sure. Um, but I think, like, that's... I think it's a really, really great insight and an important point that it's it's not the passion. Because I, I, I agree. You know, we have guests on the show all the time who make business decisions that I don't always agree with or all kinds of things. But, but you're right. That's the core of what I think a lot of us connect over is that they care about something. And guess what? Like, Every one of us gets passionate about something and wants to do something only to later find out that, like, oh, you know what? Like, 
that maybe wasn't the greatest thing for me to be obsessed about. I think what I, I think what I'm trying to do, I'm just listening to this and taking it all in and because I agree. I think I've said a couple times to Joanne in the last 24 hours about where where I really do identify her. I think I said last night I'm both like very eager to identify with people as workers, but sometimes that makes me naive. Um, I, I think like in response, very delayed to the person who asked about the tech clash last night, like what I would say is like, I'm not, I really don't view my work as like a lash or anything. Like, I think if I can explain what me and I think a lot of other writers and particularly like novelists interested in tech are trying to do, like my, my all, most of what I'm about as an artist is observation. Like my grandpa was a steel worker, you know, depressed alcoholic would go in the basement and paint and like I would paint with him and he would just say like just draw what you see he would just draw landscapes and just just draw what you see and like that's what I've always kind of done like just what do I see what like what do I what do I see void of politics void of slant but just like what do I see and so when I'm living in Pittsburgh where I'm based for the past decade it's like you see you know the Google flag higher than the American flag in Bakery Square. You see Duolingo casting shade over the Carnegie Library. You see you know driverless cars you know in the alleys and like so you're just you're seeing it. it to me, it feels like altitudinal, like it's like climbing higher. And like I think of the work I'm hopeful to do the rest of my writing career is not like I honestly don't even view it as like lashing back or response or whatever. It's just as that as that presence in my specific city grows higher. Like, I just want to create an artistic tradition that's growing alongside it, that's standing, that's standing astride it. Not, not opposed to it, not, not, um, not oppositional, not, not in the way that a tree in a building can both grow, be up. I mean, at some point in the course of human events, you'll have to make choices about, you know, how those things reside. But in, like that's, In conversation with it. Yeah, I, I think like I... Because again, I have so many friends who work at these companies who help me think through them. Like it's not that I'm I'm trying to grow a grow an artistic tradition that that crushes or lashes. I mean, having walked around in CES, I couldn't if I tried. I mean, like the 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 power of of books in our in our sort of current moment is 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 just not that, quite frankly. And like what I'm hoping to quite literally spend 10, 20, 30, 40 as many years as I can is just try to. I don't know. In the same way that a lot of people I met last night, like I do I admire the, the vision, the hustle, the effort. I see it like, and I recognize it because I'm, I'm hustling in some ways, but I am trying to think through like, what am I building alongside it? That is, is it a mirror? Is it a, is it a, you know, what is the intake system? I don't, I'm not a Joanne McNeil who has the perfect metaphor for how to, uh, for how to think of this tradition. But like in response to the person last night who, who asked about like the tech clash, no, I don't, I, that's not really like something I'm, I'm thinking about. I'm just thinking about starting from a place of observation what I see happening in my region and sort of thinking about it and making sure I'm growing an artistic tradition that I, it's, it's probably folly to think it could ever grow as high and influence as the tech sector, but I'm, I'm going to try to make sure that it's always, it's always there growing alongside it. Is that overly idealistic and sappy, Joanne? Well, just having the space at all is a space to raise questions. And right now, um, questions just basic questions, how does this work, can be received as criticism, which I think also fits into this, like, are we in a tech clash or not? Like, if you're just asking a, a general question um, and people are mad about that, like, I'm, 
I, I try to be respectful. I, I try to, you know, <laughs> not just be annoying um, or, you know, dismissive of, of people and their visions. Uh, but yeah, so it, the, the nice thing about writing fiction too is that it, it is all questions. It is like... It, yeah, no, good. So I, I do have a question though about, about the words or the term science fiction. Because I'll tell you, so okay, and and, and I'm I'm really curious about your guys' thoughts because because obviously like you know I think the the you know in the, in the AV sector in my experience there's a lot of people who identify as fans of science fiction, but I'll say and I say this with love for all of them like it tends to be I think maybe a little bit of a narrow definition of that, or, or maybe science fiction is something that's kind of more narrow. And what you're doing and I'm addressing this to both of you here, but but Joanne. Help me out. How do you think about the term science fiction with regard to your work? Is that what you're doing, something else? I mean, I started writing science fiction before I did tech criticism or anything like that. Like, that was something that, you know, from my my early 20s on, I was always kind of putting short stories together. They, nothing went anywhere. Um, but something that always appealed to me about science fiction was there was no prestige attached to it for a very, very long time. And if you go deep to the roots, like these were like many of the earliest science fiction writers come from poor families, working class families. Many of them were Jewish. Yes, it was a lot of white guys, cis white guys, but it, there was also a reason why science fiction embraced people like Octavia Butler, whereas literary fiction didn't really know what to do with her. It's like if you're an, it's a, it's a literature that really appeals to outsiders. And I mean, I, I don't, I think like the whole thing about nerd culture and Silicon Valley leaders is a little overplayed, but I, I am, it is, as, as someone who loves this literature, as someone who loves this, the history of it and a very rich history, it, it frustrates me to see them kind of cherry pick various visions and say that's why this, this writer wrote it. Because also, like, science fiction isn't a roadmap. That's not how, uh, as an author, as, like, writing my novel, writing the, science, this, the short stories I did before, I never went in with like a prescription, like wrong way isn't here to solve self-driving cars. In fact, like this was mostly just like, you know, what my instincts were telling me, this is like what needs to go in this book and just like afterward realize what I did. I think this is what, I think this is actually a really interesting point in this, this difference, even within the commonality between startup founders and artists, quote unquote, is that, Startup founders, like, they, they know what they're doing. You have to. You have to have the goal, and you have to be... And so they're maniacal, monomaniacal towards a very specific goal. Good, bad, whatever, who knows. Uh, uh, a lot of times, and a lot, I think a lot of artists know what they are doing. They have the specific vision. They go out and pursue it. But I think a lot of artistic expression of all kinds is comes from a place of not knowing, of, of being compelled by something or situation or, or, or factors or whatever and wanting to explore them in a way. And this kind of gets back to what Patrick was saying about not just having to, to reduce everything down to one simple answer or whatever that, that you, there's inherent to a lot of art. Again, not all of it, but like is exploring ambiguous spaces and ideas. And, and, and is that, I don't know, what do you think, Patrick? No, yeah, I mean, that's, that's all spot on. I mean, I would just add that 
Like if you, first I'll say that all the coolest people I talked to last night were people that read. Everybody who was cool at that Atonicast party and Fed figured out, Joanne and I, we're writers and novelists, like they had cool shit they had read recently. Not like, oh, I loved this shit in high school and whatever, like, like active readers. Shout out Mike Wagner, big reader. Uh, like shout out, well, I could go through the whole thing. No free spot, no free ads. Uh, but like they, like, it, there's something that just keeps people a little bit more open, a little bit more. Um, they've tried on this kind of viewpoint. They've tried on that. So that, like, it really does make you a more open person to different types of viewpoints. And if you've never, like, dialed into to this sort of stuff, I would, like, totally recommend the science fiction anthology where you can just kind of, like, dip in. Joanne's in a great one, Terraform. Um, you can kind of, like... Just kind of pick and choose, but also like don't conform to your own taste too much. Don't don't like challenge yourself not to just be like, oh, I'm not into this, so I'll I'll skip to the next one. And it's like, wow, this person has like thought so much about it and figured out a way to write a story where humans live and exist and and are okay. Sometimes not okay, but uh, I, I don't know. It's not like a one to one, but it, I, I don't know. That's that's part of what's happening. I think like at my molecular level when I read this stuff. Yeah, I mean, this is this is making me think of like how people do look to science fiction for predictions and a lot of that if if you do have a knack for it, you probably have two things going on, which is like you're good at assuming consequences, like seeing like okay, if you do this, that's going to happen. And also just reading power dynamics. Like I just think about the many examples that sometimes go viral on Twitter because it's like, oh, Phil K. Dick wrote this in 1964 and look like how relevant it is to our daily lives. And, you know, thinking one of his examples, it would be like the door you had to pay to get in. And it's just like classic exploiting the working person. And like, that's what, that's what science fiction has been, has like a subversive element where you can smuggle in a lot of issues of of exploitation, oppression, and and uh, and under the radar too, and that, that's that is where it is a quite a powerful fiction as world literature. Yeah, absolutely, and and a lot of great, and and this is why to me the line between science fiction and speculative fiction gets weird because how you decide what a book is about is like, right, like two different, three different, ten people could read the same book and it will be about a different thing to to each one. And Patrick, I want to ask you sort of about this because I'm, I'll just be, you know, uh, candid. Like, I've, I've heard from some people who did not enjoy your book. Yeah, I believe I, it. You can't please them all. Let me, <laughs> let me tell you. Go to Amazon and read some of my reviews. And, and <laughs> You, you, uh, yeah. <laughs> critics, critics are everywhere. Haters haters going to hate. No, but, but I think, like, one of the interesting things about it is that... It's like an expectations thing. It's kind of like this AV hype thing where, and, and, and I, I'm saying this because I feel slightly res- responsible in the sense that these are people who I sort of encourage sometimes yeah. in some cases to read because it's like, hey, and, and, and by the way, like the reason, you know, wanted you to be here and had you on the show and stuff is we, I think we need to have more people writing about this stuff and we need to like build, as you're saying, sort of just a conversation between the people who are making this technology and the people who are thinking about it. Um, and about thinking about its effects, and and I'm wondering, you know, you know, to call something science fiction, like, how much does it have to be about the technology? Because and and I, when the the criticism 
is seems to be that like the book is was for them not enough about the technology. And I yeah. understand these are people who work with technology all the time. I mean, actually, it's a little weird for me because I feel like if I worked with technology all the time, I'd probably be want to read about like other things. But I also wonder if maybe part of it is that when you're so driven and focused to to do this thing, right, to 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 create this thing. It can be really hard to have to think about the consequences of it, you know, and and to think too critically about that. And a lot of times, that's what books do, and and speculative and science fiction do that. They they say, okay, you know, it's this book is not about explaining the technology itself. It's it's a lot of times the technology is a MacGuffin almost, and, and not a MacGuffin, but like a, a a black box, and and you just put it there to see how it affects in the broader system because at the end of the day that's the point of all this you know it's easy to get focused on the technology itself i think when you work on it because that's what you're doing but that serves a purpose and what that purpose is and understanding it like you how else do you do that besides looking out and the rest at, at its impact on the world and in some sense in that way the writers like you both who are writing about this you're helping these people, I think it feels like an attack sometimes. When in fact, I think what's happening is, is you, you know, this is a way to express to the people making this technology, hey, like this is this is what either has happened, is going to, or, or is going to happen potentially at least uh, as you develop these technologies. And that seems like something, yeah, hard to think about, but but important to think about as you're shaping the future, like literally. Yeah. No. I mean, I think they're not. They're not wrong that it's not all about driverless cars. It's a lot about climate, a lot about Pittsburgh, a lot about family, a lot about labor, a lot about lots of other things. I think what eventually every, I was going to say, well, I guess my novel, every novel, the flip side of that, because I have, I have heard that, the flip side that I have to deal with, like the work I have to do in promoting the book or quite frankly just conversations about this technology that's way, 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 way more common than people who listen to this podcast is people who are saying, like, yeah, driverless cars, I don't want to read that. I'm not into that. That's what I hear 20-fold, 30-fold, 40-fold, 50-fold um, when my book's at a little bookstore and I'm, you know, I was, I was at a bookstore that remained nameless and my book was, like, nicely displayed up front and I just, like, happened to overhear somebody sort of, like, looking, looking, and, like, um, just, like, just sort of witness them picking something else because there was, you know, eh, a driverless car on the cover of my book. I'm like, eh, it's not really like my thing. And I was kind of like, yeah, oh, that's instructive. Like that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a barrier. That's like, that's a, that's a barrier. And so like I view just my novel as sort of the middle of the Venn diagram between like on, on the one side, there's like, for sure the people there last night, wherever they want, they want me to like, be like, well, you didn't go into which LIDAR this, which whatever that will like all the different you know, use cases, well, they, they want that, they crave that, they want to see that novelized versus the other side of the middle of that Venn diagram where, like, 95 fucking percent of the population, if not more, does not care at all about this, at all. And, like, this book is is there, um, is... I, I debate whether I want my work to be accessible. Ultimately, I, I really do. Like, I want my, like, my dad to be able to, like, read my work and, like, have it be, like, maybe challenging or something in some ways, but, like, I do want to create art that's accessible and like the challenge of that is like trying to reside in that middle sometimes thinking about audience thinking about I mean I thought a lot about I had a lot of people in the you know in and around cars sort of read and, and proof different aspects of the book or help me think through it um, and, and heard you know some of those things you should think more of a, you should 
I, somebody who wanted me to go on a whole thing about you should invent a new kind of battery. It does this, and you should be inventing. What if we did this? What if we did that? You know, like really, really wanting to push the tech way forward. Um, so yeah, I totally hear that criticism. I would like, I would say back to that criticism, like if you want more of this, like most people want none of you. <laughs> like I, you know, and I don't say that dismissively. It's like that's kind of the work I've had to do a lot more of way more of is like convince people to read something about driverless cars particularly in Pittsburgh we're like gotta be honest right now the rep is not great the the the, the reputation the attitude is not like sky high to read about this thing where uh, different companies are, are falling off so so yeah that's just a but you know what I like being in the middle I like I like being I, I like being in the middle of all this I, I want to have work that's at the center like you you saying that and me thinking about some of these other people I'm like good I'm right where I should be like I should, I should be like, I, it's great that I have a novel that can occupy that middle space where some people want to tug it one direction. Some people are like, uh, hey, nice meeting you, man. Uh, yeah, I'm going to go to sleep soon. <laughs> Sorry, people are leaving the, uh, the uh, sports bar. But I don't know. I, like, I view it as great. I appreciate you like raising that. And I just, I want to have stuff that's at the middle. I, I would say like the, the thing to be wary of is just, a novel isn't metadata. Like, just because it deals with self-driving, even if, if it's an element, like, it is an element of my book, um, but I'm not an on-staff futurist writing speculative reports for a company. If someone's going to buy my book expecting me to complicate their private enterprise like that's that's not what fiction is for it's more like yeah no i mean look like if you to me it was really it was really interesting that you know the whole conversation around av education um and like what you know what are we supposed to be educating people about like i think if you ask people in the industry what you generally tend to get and i don't know if it's by just by default or what but it's like it's about the technology they think like there's this and, and, and for me, it was always, I struggled with like, well, do people need to understand the technology in a technical way? Does it matter? Is, does it help us sort of um, as a society make more democratic choices about, you know, our future, you know, if we know how LIDAR works or radar works? Like, I do think they're important things. I think more people should know, like some of the stuff should absolutely be taught more in schools and things like that. But like, for me, I feel like uh, there's all this like, in, you know, certainty that what we need to educate people about is the self-driving part. When in reality, what I think I found is that like what people don't think about and don't understand is really is the car part as much as anything else. And and people don't think about mobility. And in some ways, like to really do education about AVs, you just have to like just talk about mobility um, really broadly and and. The, the, to t the, the part of this that matters to people is the impact on their lives, the impact of society, the impact of the economy, all, all these other things. Like the nuts and bolts, the technology can be a black box. You can have those conversations while having the technology be a black box. And, you know, that black box has to be accurate, right? It has to be, it's a mental model, right? But like we can have conversations. And the technical folks have to make sure that in public discourse the mental model is accurate. But that doesn't mean that all you ever talk about is the technology. Like, yeah, this stuff has impacts. And if you make technology and you don't like the fact that people speculate and anticipate and think about and criticize the real, you know, actual and potential impacts of it, you might be in the wrong business. 
Yeah. You, you, or, or you might be in the wrong society or something. I don't know. It's well said. It's well said. I, I want to pivot. Yeah. Most people listening to this are like probably interested for Ed Niedermeyer's like vibe check on CES and like everything. Like like you are having walked around with you for a day and gone to your party, you are like AV Jesus. You do like just have this like crowd. You do like have this party. You walk around, people know you, whatever. Like what? Like you haven't been here in a while. It's been this is your first CES in a while. I know we're only like halfway through we're recording this on. I don't even know what day it is. I guess Thursday. But like what's what's your sense of things right now? People probably want to know who couldn't come. Like what's 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 your vibe check? CES, halfway through. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the observation about how big this thing is, um, you know, in in a lot of journalism, including like financial journalism, business journalism, all kinds of things. A lot of times, what you're reporting about and and, anal- and analysis and discourse and stuff is all in the realm of perception. And it's been really interesting over the years to see with AVs like perception and the, the discourse about perceptions and, and the perception that discourses have always been at odds with the technology. When the technology sucked, everyone thought they were right around the corner. And now that amazing progress has been made, you can get driverless rides in freaking San Francisco, which is a terrible place to drive. Um, it, you know, people think it's all bullshit and never going to happen or whatever. And so, like, so on the one hand, for me being here at CES and like especially walking the floor and everything. It's that, you know, we can all talk and talk and talk, but as you kind of say, the juggernaut really, like, rolls on. And, and you know, companies come and companies go, and, and it's not all, you know, the same. But, like, for me at a certain point, I think what, what builds up is there's a sense of, like, always approaching things the same way. And, and here's the thing about CS2. There's so much of it. I mean, you guys have been here. Like, we, we, you can spend, like, you can go to zero parties, not see any of your friends, not have any real conversations with people. You can spend all your time just trying to see everything. And even then you're gonna, you know, kind of just scratch the surface. So a lot of it ends up your perception of what of what's going on is, is talking to other people and getting lucky to see certain things or whatever. So for me, like just where I'm at, there is definitely a sense of like, you know, uh, a tension between this sort of motor of venture capital. We have to keep investing money into things to try and start new company and like uh, and and a lot of like old players are sort of here and like now in like these weird sort of you know conglomerates and 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 so it just keeps rolling on. Um, and I think at some point there needs to be a lot more like sort of real uh, coming to Jesus about about sort of the real goals of a lot of this stuff. And my hope is that this is, you know, Tesla embodies, I think, a lot of the sort of solutionist aspects of this and, and, and the worshiping the tech, in, but, but like leaving everything else the same, not actually making things materially better in ways that the technology could be empowering. And so I don't know, like, I, I think this year is going to be a really interesting one for, for Tesla. And as a result, it's going to be a really interesting one for the rest of this sector. And I think that, I think that, yeah, I, I don't have a, 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 I don't think that, you know, I think we're in, the, the real vibe this year is that everyone is still trying to figure things out. And we've been saying for a couple of years, you know, the pivot to ADAS, we've been saying for a couple of years, oh, it's trucking and delivery and not, you know, and these things are all true, but like, and, and again, I think to go back to sort of where we started this conversation, it's okay that it's not a simple little lesson. It's okay that, and, and I do like my work, 
a lot of what I see my work as having been over is this is my 15th year writing about cars and technology and stuff. Um, and a lot of what I, I think I can do well is take a lot of complexity and boil it down into something fair that like gets simplest yet faithful form. Um, and it's a skill that I cultivate. And this year, like, it's, it's hard. And I don't know, maybe it's a personal thing for me. Like, I've had a lot going on in my life, in my career. Um, but I think so does, so does this sector. And I think that's okay. You've had a very, very tumultuous year. But, like, when I see all these people talking to you, like, you're so clearly appreciated, like, all the work you've done. I mean, it's just been, like, it's very, very evident how much you're appreciated all these different places. Like, you're doing really specific work. That said, what would you say the biggest mistake was the past 24 hours? Not eating till 5 o'clock today or not putting the T-shirts out till 2.15 a.m.? I mean, I really, the T-shirt was a huge mistake. You know, the, the party was so much fun, but it was so chaotic. Uh, we haven't done it for three years. And, like, I know there's people probably listening to this right now who, like, did not have the optimal experience at our party <laughs> due to some of that chaos. If you are listening to this, like, please accept our apologies. We love you, and we are definitely going to try and make uh, the Autonicast party uh, open to as many people as possible going forward and, and with much less friction, hopefully, than this year. Um, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Jen. Oh, well, what I was just going to say about like seeing all this technology and all of these proposed solutions, you just realize what is actually lacking that people would even propose these solutions. Like I was just like, with regard to self-driving cars, I had an elderly relative of mine mention to me how much she wishes they existed because she knows she's not going to be able to drive soon enough. And I just kept thinking, well, okay, your concern, your concern here is about your lack of capacity to drive. It's not the self-driving car that you want. If we lived in a world where I lived close to you and I could help you out, or if you didn't have to go to the store at all and the market was just down the street, like if we lived in that world, you wouldn't need this solution. And it's not necessarily that you even want it. It's just that it's in the headlines all the time and it sounds closer than it is. I think what you're saying is that CES, and I think this is, I haven't been here a few years, like, and, and this is one perspective. Like there's a lot of ways to think about it and sometimes it's exciting and inspiring and other times, you know, the mood is a little different. But like sometimes it does feel like you know, um, a giant emporium of band-aids for structural problems, you know, like, and now that's, I think what a lot of times, a lot of tech stuff can seem like and feel like sometimes. Um, and you know, to let's be fair, like band, putting on a band-aid is easier than fixing a structural problem. Let's be reason, like, let's concede that. I, talk, know, I talked fairness. about infrastructure with so many people last night, just, just, you know, just talking about structure with it's so many people. It's on people's minds though. I think know? in the tech sector, infrastructure, and it's interesting because it totally resists, it's the opposite of software. Like it's the ultimate hardware, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Kirsten, well, Kirsten, I was going to say if Kirsten had a, 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 an observation to throw, but I think she's she came and gone. Yeah, Kirsten, okay. We should probably wrap this up. Uh, we'll probably uh, try and talk more maybe uh, next week or something by, by uh, Liz Zancaster and pull, I don't know, we'll figure out what to do. Um, I'm sorry we didn't get more time to, Dude, this to was record. Sweet. This was great. What are you talking about? Okay. This, yeah, this was incredibly memorable. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> very Vibe. This is not like every uh, every podcast appearance you've been on. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll we'll just do it. We'll we'll wrap up uh, when we're done. Well, as I said in my introduction, I had no idea what would result from inviting Patrick and Joanne to CES. But suffice to say, this conversation definitely met all of my hopes for the experience. It was so cool to get such different perspectives on technology, 
uh, and some of the insights that could only come from science fiction authors, which of course was the whole point of, of inviting them. Um, I hope you enjoyed this conversation uh, as much as I did. Thanks, of course, to Patrick and Jovan for taking me up on my invitation. Uh, this was a really wonderful experience, and it was great to to meet you both and to spend time with each other. And of course, thanks to you, the listeners, for listening to another episode of the Atonicast. We'll see you here again next time.